You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. If it wasn't for this crazy virus, it'd be fun to gather all the children up here on the platform and I could sit down and I could tell them stories about how life has changed since I was their age. When I was a boy, you know, those kind of stories. It'd be a lot of fun, but they really are true. I'm 45 years old, but lots of things have changed. So like when I was a boy, we didn't have cameras on our phones. (laughs) <laughs> the phones are on the wall, and, and they had cords with them. And if you wanted a picture developed, you took a, your camera and you took a picture, and then you had to either send it off in the mail to get your film developed, or even if you had a lot of money to blow, you, the best you could do is take it down to the drugstore and wait an hour for your picture to come back, and hopefully there would actually be something in your picture that you took, but lots of times I'd get an envelope back and it'd be all bleed blurry or black. When I was a boy, we didn't have Amazon. If you wanted to order something, you had to get a blue or black pen and fill out the order form and then put it into an envelope along with a check, remember those? And then send it off and then you would, you would wait six to eight weeks for delivery. When I was a boy, we didn't have YouTube. If you wanted to learn how to do something, um, you had to ask a real person. Or go to the library and use a card catalog in order to pick a book and then read the book of how to do it. And when I was a boy, we didn't have Netflix. If you wanted to watch a show... You could watch it one week, but then you had to make sure that you were back there at the same time the next week for the next episode to come on. And everything would go great unless right when the story is getting good, these dreaded words. (laughs) Basically, what I'm saying is that when I was a boy, things just took longer. We're in a mad dash as a society to have everything instantly. 4G is not enough for us. We want 5. Next day shipping is not enough for us. Now if you order something from Amazon, in many places, if you're near an Amazon warehouse, you can make an order in the morning and it will be on your doorstep that afternoon. Chip readers at the store take way too long For us, we human beings hate to wait. Anybody want to disagree? (laughs) No, 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 you got me wrong. I don't mind waiting. Those long traffic lights, those are my favorite kind. I, I, really, I really don't mind it that much. When I'm in Walmart and there's about a bazillion people and we're standing there and there are two cashiers open and we're all standing there around these marvelous people six feet away with their mask on. And we, great reading material there in the aisle. I love, I'm looking for the comment card to tell the manager how much I love 
these incredible lines that he has created for us. We hate to wait. So so this morning, I've come with good news. But I first come with inconvenient news. And the news is this. God doesn't mind making you wait. Open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, we're going to focus on one half of verse 1. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. As for you, behold, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. As we study this passage this morning, I want to remind you that every time I teach, I want to teach you this passage. Again, we're just going to focus in on the first part of verse 1. And I want to teach you the first part of the verse 1. But, but also what I want to do every time I teach is to teach you how to study the Bible. And I want to encourage you that, that there are three powerful tools that you need. If you want to know God, there are three things that are incredibly powerful. The Bible... And a pen and a piece of paper. And if you will get into the habit of, of as you read the Bible, whatever size passage you read, if you will get into the habit of reading the passage and then taking a pen and a piece of paper and just writing down what the Lord is saying in that passage, straight off the page. And if you will take passages, here's here's another, if you will take passages that really stick out to you, where it's like the Lord is speaking that passage to you at that moment, and you will write that passage down, in a year you will be amazed at what God has shown you. Let's just start here in this verse. Again, we're just one half of verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. But let's see what we see there. Just as I was studying this passage this week, I wrote down on my paper that in Genesis 17, 1, Abram was 99 years old. I also wrote down that the Lord appeared to him. In other words, this isn't Abram's imagination. This isn't Abram wishful thinking. God Almighty appeared to Abram. And he had promises for Abram. Next, if you want to understand what God is saying in the Bible, then you, you, we must understand the passage's context. Context determines meaning. And if we go back and we read the story beginning at the end of Genesis 11, the story of Abram, what we will notice is that the author of Genesis wants to remind us all along the way how old Abram is. Seems to make a pretty big deal about it. So for example, if you go back to Genesis 12 and verse 4, you'll see that the author wants you to know that Abram is 75 years old when he left Haran to enter the land that God had promised to him and his descendants. And then sometime later, in Genesis 13, and then again in Genesis 15, God reiterated those promises, and he made it clear that he's going to have a son. 
and then a whole multitude of descendants. But if you remember the story, by the time Abram is 85 years old, Abram's wife Sarah is getting really tired of waiting. And so she takes the bull by the horns and she has a handmaid and she basically uses her handmaid to be a surrogate mother for this child that she wants to have. Then we come to Genesis chapter 16 and verse 16 and we're told that Abram is 86 years old when Ishmael, this illegitimate son, is born. And then now in Genesis 17 verse 1, Abram is 99 years old and he still didn't have the son that God has promised. And here's a question. You look at that on your paper and you say, I wonder why in the world it is that God keeps reminding us of Abram's age. And here's what I think the answer is. He wants you to feel what Abram must have been feeling. To have this promise of God that he's longing for. Just do the math. For how long? 24 years. God makes a promise. But, but my guess is he's wanted children long before that. But let's just, God makes a promise for a son. And 24 years pass no son. Think about it. Month after month. Longing. Waiting. Hoping. I, I think this is the month. 24 years. No baby. That's hard. Because we humans hate to wait. I want to think about this for a second. Why is it that we have such a hatred for waiting? I think if we're honest and we just try to summarize the situation. We hate to wait because we love control. We love knowing what's going to happen. And we like deciding when it's going to happen. And regardless of how many times we've made plans and our plans have turned out to be an absolute disaster, we have this stubborn idea that we know what's best for us. While you wait at the grocery store lines, just listen to what people are saying. If those corona experts would just listen to me. If Governor Cooper just listened to me. If President Trump would just listen to me, if the Democrat Party would just listen to me, and really what we're saying is, if God would just listen to me, everything would be okay. But, but our past record is more than enough proof that we are the last people on earth who ought to be in control of the universe. But, but this desire for control is one that marks a fallen human being. Regardless of how irresponsible it would be, we long for control. Anybody ever get irritated and grumpy when your day, your schedule doesn't go the way you planned out that morning? It's because you think you know what's best. And you long for control. Anybody ever use anger? Or guilt, or intimidation, or pouting, or flattery, or deception in order to get people to do what you want them to do? 
It's because you think you know what's best and you want control. Let me ask this. Anybody ever, ever disobey God in order to get something that you really want? And everybody in the room said, and on the Zoom call, absolutely. It's because you think you know what's best and you long for control. And here's a real question. Anybody ever rationalize your desire so much in your head that you end up convincing yourself that what you want really doesn't have anything to do with your desires? This is, this, listen, listen, this didn't come from me. This is, I didn't ask for this. This is from the Lord. This is the Lord leading me. And you have people in your life, godly people in your life, and they are, everybody's saying the same thing. Don't go down this path. This is a bad idea. And yet you turn, your, turn the voices off. You, you, you open up the Word of God, and right there in the Word of God, God is saying, don't go down this path. And yet you so rationalize your desires that you've convinced your, I know what it says, I know what they say, but this is the will of God. You might use spiritual sounding words the whole time, but what's happening is you think you know what is best and you're longing for control. And let me talk to children for a minute. Because this isn't just for adults. Children in the room, have you ever whined or pouted or stumped your feet or made yourself cry. Or just told little lies. Or, or, or maybe use a cute little baby voice. In order to get your parents to do what you want them to do. It's the same thing. You, you, we're, we're all in this thing together. You think that you know what is best. And you want control. But look at what God is showing us. All throughout the story of Abram, regardless of what you think you want, you really don't want you in control. Right? Sarah thought she wanted to be in control, didn't she? She wanted a baby. She was determined to make that happen, even if it meant disobeying God. Here's my question. Did it, did it work for Sarah? It totally blew up in her face. Here's Abram. What does Abram want? He just wants happy life, happy wife. He's willing to disobey God in order to get it. How'd that work for him? All of his effort to make Sarah happy actually made her miserable. Can you imagine the jealousy that Abram had to deal with for the rest of Sarah's life? Here's Hagar. She thinks she wants control. Here is, here is the man that God has said, the blessing of God is going to flow to the whole world through him. She said, I don't care about the blessing of God. I just want to, I'm just sick and tired of Sarah and her mouth. How'd that work for? God sent her right back to Sarah. Control is an illusion. Here's reality. God is in control. And he's not planning on sharing it with you. And, and no, he's not going to make an exception in your case. 
I hope you're feeling what I'm talking about with you. You and I have problems that we desperately want God to fix. Like yesterday, right? Unfulfilled dreams, longings. You so wish God would just give you. And so you cry out with the psalmist, How long, O Lord? Are you going to hide your face from me forever? For the last 24 years, really the last 99 years, Abram knows exactly how that feels. And so listen to the message of Genesis 17 verse 1. But it's not merely just the message of Genesis 17 verse 1. This is the message of Psalm 27 verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Psalm 130, I will wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in His Word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Isaiah 64. For from days of old they have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. Micah 7. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. Lamentations 3, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the person who seeks Him, it is good that He waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Now step back from all this and let's just see where we've been. What we have in front of us is a perfect storm, a threefold temptation. We all have problems. That's expounded by the problem that we, we hate to wait. It gets even worse that the God who's in control of the universe doesn't seem to mind making us wait. But the problem gets even more complicated by our sin. And not just our sin, but really our weakness. Our lack of wisdom. Like, like, like this, where exactly is the line between waiting on the Lord and being passive? I don't always know. Where's the line between being diligent and proactive and just wanting to be in control? I don't always know. Is that temptation knocking at my door? Or is that opportunity from the Lord? I don't always know. I can only imagine the self-justifying thoughts that went through Sarah's mind. God promised a son. 
but he's obviously not giving me one. And in fact, there's no way for him to give me one. I'm way past childbearing years. That, that, that train has come and gone. There's no way he can give. He must not be thinking of giving a son through me. I can't even have a baby. But look at this young maiden that the Lord gave us. Oh, this must be from the Lord. This is from the Lord. This is a gift from the Lord. This is the right thing to do. And she justifies sin in her own mind. Do you see how much we need the Bible? Do you see how much we need to have our minds shaped by the Bible? The, the Bible says, Romans 12, verse 9. Abhor what is evil... Cling to what is good. You can write this down and go back and look it up. Hebrews 5 says, you've got to be fed on the Bible to have your senses trained to be able to know the difference. This is why he says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Here's the answer. So that you may prove, that that is, you may test And discern what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you you see what the Bible is saying? Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. But without the Bible, you don't know the difference. And if you're looking inside of yourself to try to tell you the difference between good and even, you're on a fool's errand. You need the Bible. But let's be very clear. It gets even better for us. But, but because we're not living in the old covenant where, where the word of God was outside of us written on stones. We're citizens of a new covenant. Where God doesn't merely have an external word. But His Spirit takes that word and brings it inside of us. He goes so far as to say, Ezekiel 36, that that the Spirit living the life of Christ inside of us, teaching us, empowering us, Ezekiel 36 says, causing us to walk in God's statutes, making us careful to keep His commands. Listen to what Jesus says in John 16. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. And here's how. He says He will take what is mine and disclose it to you. I want you to notice, to turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to notice what happens... When the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and energizes and empowers us to live by it. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. It's very important you see. Paul is praying He's asking God to do something. Well, what's he asking God to do? Um, We've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. How is a person filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding? 
I mean, obviously, by means of the Bible. But, but notice, God is, Paul is pleading with God to make this happen. Do you see what Colossians 1 is revealing? If you're going to have spiritual wisdom, if you're going to have spiritual understanding, it's going to be from God. The Holy Spirit's got to do that. He's asking God to reveal what is written in the Bible. In other words, it must just be more than words on a page. But the Holy Spirit can bring it inside. So that, he says, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power. According to His glorious might. Not human power. Spiritual power. Holy Spirit power. Power from God working in us. Look what it says. For the attaining of all steadfastness. And look at this. Patience. Patience. In the midst of hard times. Steadfastness and patience to wait on the Lord. But there's more. Look at verse 11 again at the very end. Strengthen with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The Holy Spirit doesn't merely have the mighty power to help you faithfully wait upon the Lord. He has the power to fill you with joy as you wait. Because you have been destined to inherit in the future. Look at verse 12. What you've been destined to inherit is even better than the thing that you are tempted to obsess over right now. Let's try to connect some dots before we wrap this up. We, we all have problems that we wish were fixed right now. Somebody say, Amen. We hate to wait. Somebody say, Amen. I hate to wait. But, but God doesn't seem to mind calling us to wait. And it, this, this grates against everything our culture has, has taught us of how to live. The culture has taught us to care only about the result. And to expect it instantly. You need to know something? Don't worry about the process. Just Google it. Because the result's all that matters. You want to learn how to do something? Just YouTube it. You want something? Just one click it. One click away on Amazon Prime. I want you to notice that to God what matters is not merely the end product. God seems to care about the process. He cares about our character more than our convenience. And you can't buy character with one click. Character takes time. Character takes ups and downs. Lots of ups and downs. Character takes testing. Lots of testing. Can I remind you that this is the same way it was for Jesus? 
Listen to this from Hebrews 5. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. We say it almost every week. But there's one thing that God wants to build in you. There's one thing that God wants to give you. There's one thing that God wants actively at work in His life, in your life. God wants you to trust Him. God wants you to trust Him. Not, not, the, kind of, not the kind of faith that, that believes God if He follows your playbook and your time schedule. I'm great at being all happy with God when He's given me exactly what I want when I want it. Not the kind of faith He's talking about. Real faith. Faith that endures. Rugged faith. Faith that believes what God says even when it is different than what our eyes see. Faith from a heart that longs for what God promises for 99 years with no evidence that it's actually going to happen, but it keeps on believing. That kind of faith honors God, Romans says. And by it, men of old gained approval. If you're going to faithfully, joyfully wait... You have to believe. But believe what? You have to believe God is good. You have to believe that He knows what He's doing. You have to believe that He's strong enough to actually pull it off. But more than all that, I love what Stephanie says, and we didn't plan this. You have to believe that everything that God is doing is flowing from a heart that loves you. I love how Martin Luther said it. Here is his definition of faith. And I think it's spot on. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. Let me say that again. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. Let's say that. Faith is a living, daring confidence confidence in God's grace. That's the sum total of the message of Jesus. You can take everything Jesus taught and you can boil it down to five words and here they are. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? Here's the gospel. That regardless of how messed up and flawed you are, God has chosen to love you. So much so that He came to earth as a poor, mistreated, misunderstood man. As a man who learned to wait. He was tempted. The Bible is very clear. He was tempted in every way that you're tempted. He was tempted personally by the devil himself. And you can go back and read in Matthew what the devil was tempting him with. He was tempting him with money. He was tempting him with 
power. He was tempted with fame. All right now, Jesus. You can have it now. No pain. But he chose a cross instead. A cross where the every last wrong you have ever done was counted against him. And he was beaten for it. Pierced for it. Mocked for it. The Bible says he was crushed by God for it until the debt was paid and all of your guilt was completely washed away. You know what that was? That was God loving you. Doesn't the cross prove His love for you? Doesn't the cross prove His heart of grace toward you? How could He not love you? He said, I tell you how He couldn't love me. Because of all the wrong things I've done. See, that's the whole point. They were all paid for. Washed away. Cleansed. Forgotten. He loves you. The life and the death of Jesus prove it. The life and the death of Jesus purchased it. This changes everything. God doesn't have you waiting because He hates you. Or because He's forgotten you. Whatever He's doing. And it could be a million things. <laughs> I don't know exactly what God is doing in each in particular thing in your life. And you, you, you're not going to know either. But here's what you can know. You can know that whatever God is doing in your life is flowing from a heart that loves you. He wants you to believe that. He wants you to believe it every time your heart cries. How long, oh Lord? He wants you to believe it when your boss is driving you nuts and you have a good mind to tell him off. In that moment, he wants you to trust his love and wait on the Lord. When your husband's not leading the way you want him to lead you and you're tempted just to take control yourself, he wants you to trust him. And wait upon the Lord. When you desperately want a family and want somebody to share life with you, and that and there's a there's a boy at school and he's so cute. He's not a Christian, but he but he's so nice. He wants you to trust him and wait on the Lord. When your marriage is pitifully unsatisfying, and there's that cute little thing at work. If we just connect and they're so funny and they actually appreciate you. He wants you to trust Him and wait upon the Lord. When you're at your computer screen and you know that one click and you could see all kinds of things that would immediately gratify those deep longings of your flesh. In that moment, He wants you to trust Him. And wait upon the Lord. How about you kids? When, you're, when your little brother says mean things to you and you are so tempted just to punch him. 
God wants you to wait on Him. When you're tempted to lie or cheat or steal or run, when you ought to stand or give up, when you ought to endure, He wants you to trust His love and wait on the Lord. Look at this in Genesis 17. Here's Abram, he's 99 years old. But fast forward just one year, just one more year, Abram. One year, Abram and Sarah are going to be holding a baby that God has been promising for 25 years. And when they see that little baby boy, let me tell you what's going to happen. All that pain of 25 years of waiting will vanish. A lifetime of pain will be swallowed up by the delight over this child. It happened to Abram and Sarah. This is written down for us. Here's the bottom line, and I hope it's not too long from now. Regardless of what happens at your school and the virus, regardless of what what happens with your parents or your health or your love life or your bank account or corona or global warming or the next election or North Korea or, or Iran or Russia or China, regardless of what happens, soon King Jesus is coming back. And he's going to reign. And on that day, everything you thought you just had to have, it won't even matter. It won't matter to you. Because he'll be yours. And you'll be his. And the wait will be over. And your faith will be transformed into certainty. Every wrong will be righted. Every single promise kept. And these little glimpses of glory and goodness that we get to experience in this little breath of life of ours are going to be replaced with satisfaction that will last forever. It will never wane. It will never fade. But it will mature and it will sweeten as millennia pass. For the first time in your life, your heart will be completely satisfied. And the pain that you can barely endure right now will vanish. Wait on the Lord. I know that it is so tempting to be scared to death of what God will do. If if you just surrender... Absolute control to Him. You're scared of what He'll do. But on the authority of God's Word, your fear is unfounded. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the person who seeks Him. It is good that He waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit would be at work right now in hearts that are are so tempted to say, God, I want to surrender this and I want to obey you in this and I want to trust you with this. But there's this thing over here that I, I want to control it. Father, I pray this morning that you would expose and you would pry our fingers off. And even with that thing, 
we would trust your heart of love for us and we would wait on the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.